Here would be a question that I would pose to you. What motivates authentic change? What motivates authentic change? What motivates lasting change? What, what motivates a person to want to change? I'm here. I, I, I've got to go there. I can't stay where I'm at. What, what motivates it? A lack of satisfaction? Discontent? Disgust? Fatigue, frustration, no energy. What's gonna move? What's gonna move me? What's gonna cause me to change? One of the guys that was in the first service about four or five weeks ago, he sat down with Dustin and I. He wept his eyes out. He got caught doing some things he shouldn't have been doing. But he said, I'm sick and tired of being sick. I'm sick of running. And we look at him four or five weeks later, and the dude is like really surrendered, and he came up for prayer today, and he said, I, I, I got to tell you, last five weeks, greatest five weeks of my life. And his wife hugged me and said, greatest five weeks of our life. Well, what, what made you want to change? What, what's going to cause us to have lasting change? What's going to cause us not to run back into a January 1st resolute resolution kind of mindset and say, that's, that's not working. I got to change i got to stay with it. We just got news here in the last few days that Benji and Grace are pregnant with their first child. That's what I'm talking about. But Jeff started working out with Benji, who's training people as a personal trainer. And Jeff was telling me, like, man, this stuff is really working me. I mean, it's kind of a CrossFit kind of hybrid kind of circuit kind of training thing. Why don't you come join us? And I tell you what, once I got that news the other day, Jeff, we're going to be grandparents. I'm like, I, I want to be there 10, 15, 20 years down the road. I want to be able to go out and throw and at least do some stuff, right? I'm like, man, I don't want to sit there and go, oh, I got to change. I got to eat better. I got to work out more. And once we started this workout over four weeks ago, we're four weeks in for me, Paul. I heard every day this muscle confusion stuff that we're going through. I got to be honest with you. I feel like I wake up every morning with the flu. I did P90X quite a few years ago, Dean. And I wake up in the morning going, do you hurt this bad every day? And everybody I talked to said, you, you pretty much hurt this bad every day. So if you see me up here trying to stretch my leg or do something, you're like, brother's hurting. So, but what makes you want to change? What lasts when it comes to change, I mean, it's like, okay, this is lasting. This is doable. When you look at yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, where do you need to change today? What is God wanting to do in your life? Then you've got to ask this question. Who am I living for? Who's my authority? What am I living for? Am I living for those things that really matter? What do I value? The things that I value, are they even valuable? Because you were created by God to live with a kingdom perspective. Every person under my voice, you were created to live with a kingdom perspective. You were created to live for something bigger than you. You were created in the image of God. You were redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. You were, you were created to live with a God-style perspective. Now, in order to change, you, you got to have vision. I want to break down vision for a bit, and then I'm going to share 
a little bit about who we are here at the cross and just our vision and then some personal challenges to you. But in order to change, you've got to have vision. And vision is really what we see and how we see it. Vision. You hear people say, what is vision? Oswald Sanders in his book on spiritual leadership said, eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. I've got to be able to see beyond the obvious. I mean, reality is, if I stood in front of most of you, if I've met you in the last month or two months or six months and said, what do you see? Most of you would say, I see two fingers being held up or I see a peace sign. If you hung out with me over two or three years, you would say, what I see are guitars and what I see are keyboards and what I see is a drum set and what I see is a screen and what I see is a rock wall because you see beyond the obvious. A lot of us are just captured to see what is obvious. We've got to look beyond the obvious. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? A person jacked up, twisted, down in the dumps? Or do you see a person who has been created in the image of God that God is desiring to fill from head to toe with the Holy Spirit to use to impact the nations? What do you see? What, what, what do you see? Vision. The ability to see beyond the obvious. Helen Keller was asked, what could possibly be worse than being born blind? And she said, having sight, but yet no vision. Fanny Crosby, that great writer of song, blind, she made the observation. People have asked me, would you like to see? And she said, well, I do. But once I die, the first person I'll see will be my Savior, so I'm okay with the way I am right now. Do you have vision? What do you see for your life? Who do you live for? Who's your authority? What do you live for? Now, here, here's the reality. Vision. Think about this, Kenneth. Vision determines how you interpret your own life. Vision determines how you see other people. Vision determines your concept of God. Vision. A.W. Tozer, that great writer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said, your concept of image of God is the greatest concept and image you'll ever have. How do you see God? How does God see you? Because it's going to drive the way you see others and how you see yourself. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as you do yourself, how do, how do you see yourself? How do you see God? We had this conversation yesterday. This whole mindset that for a person who has repented of their sin and placed their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, that there was a great exchange that happened, which means, I believe, an exchange life theology, which means when I came to faith in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, and behold, all things become new. There was an exchange that happened. All my sin, all my filth, all my dirt was nailed to the cross, and God gave me a new nature. I've had people say, well, Tim, it's a, it's a hard journey because you've got these two dogs always battling inside, this good dog and this bad dog, and whatever dog you feed is the dog is going to win. Biblically speaking, for the believer and the redeemed of the Lord, you ain't got but one dog inside of you. You've got a good dog 
and you've got flesh patterns of yesterday. I've got to crucify the flesh patterns. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I that lives. Paul would say this in Galatians 2.20. But then the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm a one-nature man now. My old nature's been dealt with, but i got flesh patterns. Some jacked-up flesh patterns. And if I do not discover who I am in Christ, I will go back and uncover who I was apart from Christ, and my flesh loves to gravitate toward the familiar. I've got to learn these new unforced rhythms. What's your vision? God goes, you're a new creation. You're not who you used to be. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint that occasionally sins. That'll change the way you view yourself every day. Our concept of God, how we view other people. If I can look across this room and see you today, as God sees me and God sees you, I'm like, God loves this person. God accepts this person. This person has incredible worth in Christ Jesus. God is wanting to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. I will treat you that way. God loves you. What's your vision? How do you see God? How do you see yourself? How do you see others? Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, Paul prayed. I prayed that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That's a vision prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Eugene Peterson in the message captures it this way. I ask the God of our master Jesus Christ to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him. That your eyes be focused and clear so that you can see exactly what God is calling you to do. That's a vision prayer. I want your eyes opened. I want you to be able to see with clarity and focus what God is up to in your life. I want you to know him. I want you to walk with him. I want you to experience him. You want to go out on a limb today. You want to do something radical? Take the Ephesians 1 prayer and pray it over your wife. Guys, pray Ephesians 1. God, I pray for Barb that the eyes of her heart would be enlightened. I pray that she would grow, that she would discern who you are, that she would know the call on her life. Oh, Lord, do something in my girl. Then pray it over your kids. Lord, I pray for Rachel and Benji and Jesse. And Hannah and Caleb, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would know you, that they would see you with clarity, that they would be focused on you, that they would know the call. You want to pray some vision prayers? Pray it over you. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you will know the fullness of who Christ is today. That's vision. Vision is discovering God's plan for your life. Vision is living with eternity as the backdrop. Vision is about starting with the end in mind. Vision is the bridge between the present now and the future. Vision. Where am I going? So when we talk about living with eternity as the backdrop, when we talk about where we're going, when we talk about leaving here and going there, if I have a kingdom perspective, listen to me, 
I'm going to spend eternity with a king. David said if we get about 70 years here, Lord, teach us how transient we are. Teach us to number our days. We get 70, 80. That's pretty full. You get 90, I mean, you're really hanging good, right? Where am I going to spend eternity with the king? Jasper walls, pearly gates, golden streets. Where are you going, Timmy? I'm going to spend eternity with the king. Then pack light, bro. This ain't home. This ain't where you're going to be forever. So don't stockpile everything here. Live with a kingdom perspective. And in doing so, since you're going there, don't you want to take pretty much everybody you know with you? Yes. So Dustin, it causes us to raise our game when it comes to being a witness and sharing the gospel. Vision. Let me tell y'all, some of you have been here for a few months. Let me tell you who we are here at the Cross Loganville. Who we are, what we're about, what we do, what we're shooting at, why we do what we do, where we're trying to go. Our mission statement declares we want to see your story connected with Christ and others. You, you'll see it on many pieces of literature hanging around, and people will say, hey, we want to see your story connected to Christ and others. That's our mission. That's who we are. You'll see people wearing bracelets and T-shirts, and you'll see it. Your story matters. Your story matters. Your, your story matters because we want to see it connected to Christ and we want to see it connected to others. We want to see you fully alive, Ephesians 1, vision, prayer, but we want to see you connected to the body of Christ. That's who y'all are. That's who we are. We are not, we are not an entertainment culture. We're not. We are an equipping culture. We are not a come and sit and chill and do nothing culture. We are get skin in the game and let's be full on disciples of Jesus culture. Did you hear me? This is not a place where we want you just slip in the back door, chill back there, sip a little coffee, and about the time we go into worship and communion on the, on the end, just slip on out, get in your car, and hit the road. We, 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 don't want, we, we don't want you doing that. We want you fully alive in Christ. We want you serving. We want you connected. We want you in the game. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. Paul is writing, and he declares this in Ephesians 4. The pastor teacher, that would be me, the pastor teacher is responsible, is responsible. Circle the word responsible. The pastor teacher has a responsibility. The pastor teacher is responsible to entertain, not in the text. The pastor teacher is responsible to equip, to equip, to equip. God's people to do his work. And the pastor teacher is responsible to build up the church, build up the body. 
To see every person fully alive in Christ. See every person functioning within their giftedness. What's your responsibility, Tim? To equip and to build up. To equip. To do all the work? No. No, no. To equip and build up. Because we are all to be functioning as the hands and feet of Jesus. We're all to be built up in the game. So we desire to see every person fully alive in Christ and equipped. Three of the words you'll hear us use here are the words committed, connected, and contributing. We, we want to see every person committed vertically to Christ, sold out, but we want to see you committed to the Word of God. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the Word remains forever. We want to see you as a student of the Word. All Scripture is inspired and God breathed. We want to see you committed to the Word. We want to see you committed to prayer. We want to see you engaging with Christ daily in the Word, in prayer, interceding. We want to see you committed. We, we want to see you connected. We want to see you connected to a small group. And we want to see you connected to serving. And Dustin will hit it at the backside of our time today, but we want to see you be all that you can be for the kingdom. We've got a, a class starting here in the next days called a Stronger Body. Dallas leads it. We want to help you get a game plan to eat better and to have a game plan to working out. It's going to be about eight, ten weeks of strategic time that Dallas and Sandy will pour into you guys, but they want to give you a game plan to get healthy physically. Drew and Steve are going to start again, our dollars and cents, and it's really Financial Freedom University if you want to look at it. But they want to help you with a game plan to make sure that we're doing everything we can to life coach you when it comes to stewarding resources. Chad and Elaine want to help you when it comes to how do we get this marriage piece figured out and get the tools that we need to flourish as married folk. There's a ton of tracks. You'll see them in the Connect Center where you can sign up. We want you in a small group. There was a couple that has been coming here for a short period of time. They're in their mid-20s. And they're like, we signed up today for a small group. And I said, come on. He's like, we're fired up. I said, what do you do for a living? He's like, I'm a CrossFit instructor. I'm like, oh, Lord. So, <laughs> you met my son Benji? And he goes, yes. I said, we were trying to coach my son Benji that there is a difference between the word trainer and the word butcher. <laughs> Benji is a butcher. Can you help him? He laughed. He said, my parents are in their 60s. They do it, and they love it. I said, are they still hurting every day? <laughs> he gave me hope, Jeff. I was like, no way. But we want to see you guys involved in a small group because we believe that true body life is not done in a row. It's done in a circle where you're able to sit down and get to know people and do life together. Where you can do life together. Drew and Jane, you guys know this. You started coming in here about two years ago. Our friends, Casey and Ashley, encourage you guys. You came over with your son, Cody, and some started coming. All right, so, so check this out. So check this out. They own a karate studio, Snellville, Lawrenceville area. And uh, I get a phone call. I get a phone call on the 27th, late that night, the 28th. And Danny, who worked with them, Danny was the guy I mentioned last week that had gotten sick, had gone to the doctor, came home two hours later, not feeling well, they get in the car, we got to go to the ER, and he dies en route. Danny drove and helped them and worked there at the karate studio. 
And I'm so thankful that Danny's wife, Donna, had community with Drew and with Jane and with some other people, Miss Linda and others. Miss Linda, you know this is so important because you're going to go through a tough time. Where's your community? You're going to go through a hard time. Where's your community? And that wife and those two daughters, they were, they were devastated. He's not supposed to be dying right now. This is not supposed to happen. Where's your community? Who are you going to lean into? And I'm telling you right now, time and time again, Julie, you know it. Rachel, you know it. The people that have been connected here at our fellowship that are plugged in and locked into community, when you get that phone call, there's a death. Just found out my child was in an accident. Just found out this pregnancy out of wedlock. Just found out this one's over here raising hell doing drugs. And you're able to have a community. Chad, Blaine, we know it, don't we? Angela, we know it. And so I encourage you, please get involved in a community. Hazel, all you ladies know it. You support each other. Miss June, you know it. And so it's like, who are you connected with? That's, that's important, okay? So we want to see you connected. And then we want to see you contributing. We believe every person that's fully alive in Christ wants to be contributing in regards to our time, our talents, our treasures, everything we've got. Now, let me hit the value things because I've already kind of touched, but I want to just dive a little bit deeper here. And I want you to hear this. What do you value as a church? Here's what I know about you as an individual. You pursue what you value. You do what you value. I've had people tell me, well, I just, I'm just not a reader. But a person who does not read will always be at the mercy of one who does. Readers become leaders. you got to read. If not, I'm living on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs. What do you value, Tim? Do you value working out? I've always done like cardio and different things, even my little yoga stuff. This stuff we're doing right here is kicking my tail. I'm like, I, just, I think I should have done this stuff when I was 20. But do you value it? Yes, because I want to be in shape. I want to get stronger. I want to be around for a while. I, I'm going to do everything I can to stay in the game, Luke, as long as I can. So here's what we value as a church. Jog through it. What do you mean by value? What we emphasize and why we do it, Paul? We value spiritual restoration. We value the fact that no matter who you are, your story matters. And we value that you can come in here whether you're going through a divorce, whether you've just had to bury somebody, whether you've been drinking like a guppy, we value the fact that God is able to restore lives. This is a restoration ministry right here. When people come in here, we believe that the power of the gospel that's able to raise the dead, that's able to turn water into wine, is able to totally and radically transform your life. We believe in spiritual restoration. We believe in authentic worship. We believe that those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. When Nick prepares week after week after week, he's not here to entertain you. He's not here to fascinate you. He's here to worship the king and invite you to do so with him. We believe in authentic worship. We believe in being transparent, dropping the fig leaf and getting honest about who we are. We don't believe in hiding and we don't believe in posing and we don't believe in pretending. We believe in biblical truth. 
We believe that the truth will set you free. We believe in the proclamation of truth. We believe that when we open the Word of God, we do not a la carte scripture. We don't cut and paste. We don't go to verses and build arguments. We take the text within the context, and we seek to present what God says as a whole. It protects us. It protects you. We believe in the proclamation of biblical truth. We believe in intentional discipleship. We believe that the purest definition of a disciple is being all you can be and the best you can be for the glory of God. And so when we talk about intentional discipleship and we're talking about making disciples and we'll drill deeper into that thought here in a second, what we're talking about is you being all you can be and you being the very best you can be for the glory of God. And if you're going to be a disciple maker, it means that you come alongside others and you're trying to help them be the best they can be and all they can be for the glory of God. Because you're walking in it. We believe in intentional discipleship. We believe in generous, generous service. We believe that every person should be serving somewhere. We believe that we should become broken bread and spilled out wine for the glory of God. We believe that we should be giving our lives away to make a difference in the lives of others. That, that's what we value. So here's the strategy to live out our values. What, what is it? We believe that we do well to get together collectively in worship. We call it Sunday worship. We believe that when the writer of Hebrews said, do not forsake assembling as some is in the habit of doing, we believe that we all value in these 90 minutes that we get together to rally together, to be stimulated together, to love one another, to serve one another, to serve. We believe collectively in the body getting together for worship. Now again, there's 10,080 minutes in a week and 80 minutes on a Sunday, we believe is vital for who you are. We believe that. Now, again, we believe in being involved in a small group. I've hit that. We believe that being connected is going to help you, help you grow, help you be sustained. We believe that sharing your story with other people matters. We believe that no matter where you're at, at any given time, you can share your story. In the first service, I was just looking around, and I was like, wow, this is, this is trippy. I mean, Chuck, Jim, we got our own story of connection here. But in the first, uh, first service, I looked, and I was like, and there's Jack and Mandy. Look at that. John and Mandy. Look at them. We met them at the ballpark because Jesse and their son was playing together. It's like, we'd like to invite you. Artie was sitting over here. Artie did 28 years in the Army. When Artie retired from the Army, Chad, they moved to this area. His son was playing on the same baseball team. Artie Here's a card, man. I'd love to invite you to our Easter service. Are you going anywhere? No. Already serving on the security team now. He was here helping with Operation Christmas Child. It's like, I'm so proud of you. Sheila was sitting there with Chuck. Like, Sheila, I'm so proud of y'all for coming here. How'd you meet her? Well, we were going to a dentist, and she was the dental hygienist, and she was cleaning my teeth. So praise the Lord, I didn't cuss, I just bled, and I invited her to come to church. <laughs> you know, some of y'all go to the dentist, it's like, man, that's just like going to purgatory. Y'all are scared of the dentist. But Sheila was awesome, and we started getting to know Sheila, and invited Sheila to church. And they're getting fired up. And Chuck and Jen, we can go around the room. How'd y'all meet? How'd y'all meet? We believe in sharing your story. Evan was sitting here. Barb, my wife, sat with him. 
Evan's in his early 20s. Evan, how'd you get over here? Uh, Jesse. Jesse. And we were powerlifting. Evan's a strong kid. Hey, man, won't you come to church with me? Kim and Thomas work out at the same gym. Kim calls me Friday morning at 645. She goes, I got to tell you a story. We were talking to this lady, da-da-da. I said, cool. I'm talking 645 in the morning at the gym. They just love to go to work. She's like, and I looked at this lady and said, I want to invite you to church. And she turned and said, Jesse already has. <laughs> you told me that, Kim. And Kim goes, Jesse winked at me. And I was like, all right. I called Jesse 20 minutes later. I said, man, Kim was telling me this story. I'm so proud of you, dude. I mean, it's so who you are. He goes, Dad, I'm still talking to her. I got to go. <laughs> Single mom trying to figure it out. Right? Your story matters. Hey, what's your story? Where are you from? I met a couple. Hey, good to see y'all. Yeah, we moved here from Southern Cal. No way. What part? Start telling me. What's your story? What, what made you? We got to get caught up later and get more of the story. Luke, your story matters. Luke's leaving today, going back to the Navy. He's been home for a couple of weeks. Stays with us, stays with Jeff and Jamie. He's our boy. Luke was sharing with a dude, brought him home for Thanksgiving. Hey, man, start some studies. I got to get after it. Your story matters. Wherever you're at, be there. What do you, what do you guys value? Uh, we, we value this, but here's the strategy of living it out. We value uh, in the strategy of Sunday worship, being in a small group, sharing your story, and we, we value serving. When Jesus said, in Matthew 28, those last words, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. What he was saying is, as you're going about life, be making disciples. As you're going about life, be doing it. You'll hear me say, I don't go on mission trips, but I do go on trips to live out the mission. Because the mission is 24-7, 365. You're going on a mission trip? I'm going on a trip. But I'm on a mission every day. If I go on a mission trip, I'll come off the mission trip. I'm on a mission. I'm just tripping every day, no matter where God has me, whether it's here or whether it's in the Dominican or whether it's in Bangkok or whether it's Josh Lee. Be missional. Be missional. Now, here's the contagious vision for us here at the Cross Loganville. Over the next five years, we want to raise up. 1,500 new disciples of Christ. We want to reach them, teach them, and train them. We want to see people sent out into the world. We want to see people fully engaged in the gospel. We believe that God is calling the Cross Loganville to be a place where people can be loved on and restored and come to authentic faith in Christ Jesus. Dustin, our mission and our vision is to see every person in this room engaged in the game. Skin in the game. Active players. Now, I can share with you from a pastoral perspective how many of the people just in the last few years started coming here. Who are you inviting? Who are you sharing your story with? Who are you reaching and teaching and training? Come on. Who are the people in your world right now that you're making a difference with? What is the one person right now that God's placing on your heart that you need to reach out to? Who is it? 
Who is it? What is the one thing in your life right now that God's asking you to forgive yourself of because he already has, but it's keeping you locked down? I asked a young 26-year-old girl that question the other night. What is, it, what is the one thing in your life that needs healing where you feel like you're clean, where you can be useful to the Lord? I understand you've got church jargon. I understand you've got some Christian semantics, but you're locked up. But come on. What is the one thing that you, you know, if you can release it and allow the healing of Christ to take place, it would free you? What, what, what is it? Come on. I want you to have skin in the game. I want to see you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to be all you can be and the best you can be for the glory of God. And I want to see you helping others be all they can be and the best they can be for the glory of God. I'm talking about sold out skin in the game. I want it. I've got skin in the game here. Can you reach 1,500 people over the next five years? There's about 800 adults that call this place their home. If 20% of the adults reach one this year, that's 200. Let's say we all really got serious about the gospel, and we all reach one. Then you blow my numbers out of the water within a year. Are you looking for more butts in the seats? No, I'm looking for more people that were lost, who are now found, who were dead, who are now alive, who are free to do life in a way that glorifies the king. Will that require that we add services? Yes. Will that require that we have more people serving on Sunday? Yes. Will that require that all of us have skin in the game in regards to discipling that next generation? Yes. Is that what matters? Yes. That's what matters. That, 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 that matters. Matthew 28, go into all the world, which includes Loganville, Walton County. Your workplace, your school, and make disciples. Who's the assignment for us for you today? Now, we must have a vision to see lost people. I want to hit this for a second. When you study the life of Master Jesus, Jesus saw the lost people around him. Just a few of the passages to reference, listen to me. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. At the end of September 2010, doing chapel for the Braves and Phillies, I'm still doing the chapel work. Barb comes over on a Sunday, and we had been talking with Steve and talking to some of the staff and the board at that time, and she's like, I want to see what the, the, the church over there in Loganville is about. So she came in just sat in the back and checked it out. What did you think? Huh? Just checking it out. The, the next Sunday she came, I was in Arizona doing ministry. I'm in the parking lot out there playing cornhole washers with Benji. My buddy Jay Feely was kicking for the Arizona Cardinals at the time. We'd had breakfast. He'd left me tickets. We were going to go see the Cardinals play a football game. I was out there doing some stuff. And she calls. And she's like, hey, I just wanted you to know I just left the church over there in Loganville. And I said, really? 
she, she said, Tim, if God is calling us to be in a local church and God's calling you to pastor, I promise you, I want you to strategically pray about it. I really felt like God showed me today that there's so many in there. There's sheep without shepherds right now. There's sheep that are hurting, they're wandering, and they're, they're lost. Pray about it. Like, really? She says, I promise you. And that was the phrase she used. So when we got here, eight plus years ago, you would meet people, and they were a mile wide and an inch deep. They didn't have any root system. And you would talk to them, and God goes, they're, they're sheep. Without a shepherd. And then Jesus encounters this guy who's a paralytic. And the scripture says when he saw the paralytic, he looked at him. And he said, "Uh, do you you want to get well? He saw him. He engaged with him. He felt for him and he said, do you want to get well? And you can't get well until you realize you're sick. When Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost, you can't get found until you realize you're lost. Do you want to get well? Which means you've got to own, I'm sick, I'm jacked up, I've got issues. There's some things I need healing from. Do you want to get well today? You want to be a disciple? You want to be a disciple maker? You, 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 you got to get some skin in the game and go all in. God, you got to heal me. You got to heal me up. I'm still holding on to some stuff and I'm not free. The scripture says that as he came closer to Jerusalem, Jeff, we've gone that route, man, as you enter into Jerusalem and you go through the tunnel and you come out the tunnel and wow, Jerusalem. And Jesus comes into Jerusalem. They're waving palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the scripture says when he came into Jerusalem, he started weeping for the city. There's so many people here. They're lost. They're confused. They're alienated. They're beat up. And he wept. When's the last time you wept for the lost people around you? When's the last time you wept for your personal Jerusalem? For your spouse who's jacked up. For your child who's wayward. When's the last time you wept? You'll notice inside your insert handout today, there's a little card, little piece of paper. And it says, uh, I understand that the mission of the Cross Loganville is connecting your story with Christ and others. The vision over the next five years, 1,500 new disciples I hit it last week, 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men and women who are going to go out and entrust the faithful men and women. Are you willing to commit? Yes. Are you willing to get skin in the game? Are you willing to become a disciple and a disciple maker? Are you willing to commit? By signing this commitment, you're getting in the game to help accomplish God's radical vision for the cross Loganville. Look at it. Are you willing to commit? Over these next three or four weeks, you're going to see this little cart every week. You willing to commit? Tons of people this morning in the first service said, yes, we have buckets to the right and left at the communion table, and people were filling them out and coming up, and as worship, they were saying, I'm committed. And then they were spending time in communion saying, because of your sacrifice, because of who you are, King Jesus, 
I celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection. I'm all in. I'm willing to die for this gospel. Are you willing to commit? During our time of prayer and communion today, there'll be an opportunity for you to fill it out and say, you know what, I'm all in. Now, here's my close. Lock in with me. Here's my close. To disciple and influence and impact others requires that you must lead yourself. If you can't lead yourself, how can you lead anyone else? John Maxwell said years ago, he who thinks he leads and has no one following is just taking a walk. I will not follow a person whose character and integrity is flawed. I won't do it. You cannot lead from position and title, but so long you will be exposed. Here would be my question. Who are the Pauls in your life? Who are the people that have mentored you? When I look at people to place in leadership positions, I want to know who's been their Pauls? Who have they sat under? One of the signs of a narcissist is the refusal to collaborate or be taught. Who's your Pauls? Who's your Barnabases? Who are the people in your life that are encouragers that you are also encouraging? One of the things we look for, Drew, is like, who, who's, who's the Barnabases right now in his life? I can, I can itemize that. Drew and Teresa have been here just over a year and a half probably. And I go, I know who he's reading, and I know who's breathing life on him. Dan, the same with you, brother. Who's your Barnabases? And then you've got to ask the question, where's your Timothys? Who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring? Where's the fruit in your life? Because the fallacy of reasoning is to conclude that a person is godly and a disciple when they have no disciples around them. Which, listen to me, strong fruit indicates strong root. If the root system is strong, then the tree is going to produce fruit. Where's your mentors? Who's breathed life on you? Who are you doing life with? Over the last year, over the last three years, over the last five years, over the last ten years, where, where, where's the people that you've mentored and discipled? I, I'm not joking. I'm serious. Who, who have you discipled? To be like Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to walk in the dust of Yeshua. You, you see, if you can't lead yourself effectively with transparency and integrity, you can't lead others. The scripture says in Luke chapter 5, Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Mark 135 captures it. While it was still morning, Jesus would oftentimes slip away and pray. So I'm looking at that going, in order to be used by God, solitude, communion with the Father, being prayed up, allowing the Holy Spirit to turn on the searchlight. Search me, O Lord, know my ways. My hiding and my covering and my lying about anything. 
I want to be clean. I want to be a disciple. I want to be all in, but I want to be a disciple maker. Here's a few keys in closing. Know your purpose. What's your purpose? My purpose is to know God, enjoy God, glorify God. Okay, know your purpose. Know your uniqueness. What are the gifts, abilities, and passions that God's placed inside your heart? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are the threats? What are some of the flesh patterns that need to be dealt with right now? Know your uniqueness. You'll hear me say, you were born an original. Don't die a copy. Ephesians 2 says you're his masterpiece, one-of-a-kind piece of art, one-of-a-kind, one-of-a-kind, not duplicated, original. To those he foreknew, he also predestined to conform us to Christ. The only person I should be looking like is Jesus. Know your uniqueness. Cultivate godly character. Character must be the heart of who you are as a leader. I promise you, your character matters every day. It matters every day when you are squeezed in those heated moments. What leaks out of you? What's your character? What's the values, the principles, and the truth that you build on? What is it? And the last thing is continue to learn, continue to grow. You still reading? Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm reading Wayne Grudem right now as we start this thing on essentials. He's got a book that deals with the 20 basics of the Christian faith. Grudem is a, a Christian apologist. He's a great writer. His stuff he's written on systematic theology is incredible. But this is kind of a Little League version of his systematic stuff. Wayne Grudem, 20 basics. But he's dealing with sin and creation, and he's breaking it down. And I'm like, I'm reading that. A guy by the name of Rankin Welburn, he wrote this book about union with God. Rick, we were talking about that yesterday, my brother. And I said, man, I like the way this guy is writing, but John Piper and John Ortberg endorsed this guy. You're going, well, they're reformed. I'd rather be reformed than deformed. I'm reading it because I love the guy's focus of union with God. You hear me talking? Why? Because you've got to keep learning and you've got to keep growing because when people come on a Sunday morning, you don't want them drinking out of a stagnant pond. You want them drinking out of a flowing stream. And when they encounter your life, you want them drinking out of a flowing stream. They're reading, they're studying, they're yielding, they're surrendering. Come on, get skin in the game. Go all in. Personal life. And then having compassion for others. Will you be a part of carrying out the mission?